Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Slapcast. This is episode 13 of our coverage of the 2023-24 season. I do stress the back element of welcome back, as we've just endured another one of our entirely characteristic periods of radio silence. This one induced by such demons as the international break, American Thanksgiving, and my own bout with bronchitis. Ooh. Of course, I'm your host, Gage, as usual, and today is marked not only by our overall return, but Josh's return to the show as well. So I'm going to start with you, Josh. How are you? Good. How are you? I am quite well, quite happy to have you back on the show, and quite happy to be joined by Ethan, who's here as well. Hello, Ethan. Hello, Gage. It's good to be back. Thank you for hosting. And Reese. Reese is here, too. Hey. (laughs) Hello, Reese. (laughs) Josh, since you're back, I would ask very kindly a favor of you that you demonstrate to us how much of amateurs we are at coming up with questions of the day and grace us with the... <laughs> I've grace been the only with... one coming up with them. <laughs> <laughs> you bitch. Grace us with... Good. From... I know, they were, they were. But grace us from the source, the fountain of wealth of questions of the day from Josh... <laughs> So we're going back to the basics because last time I was on, which was a while ago, um, we were having some good ones, like not food related ones, like actual, like decent soccer related questions. So we're going to stray so far from that. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? (laughs) It's a little late, but we did miss Thanksgiving time for an episode that we were going to do this question. So. It doesn't have to be, it can be the side, the main dish, unique to what y'all have, but what is it? I have struggled with Thanksgiving food because for the longest time, I just didn't really like it, to be honest. However, recently, and when I say that, I mean within the past three or four years, I've discovered that I like dark meat and my family likes white meat. So that was, that was a source of issue for me. Uh, So now I'm, I'm on the dark meat train. I'm a fan of that. Always a fan of the bread, but that's kind of cheating. Um, I've also become a fan within the past couple of years of deviled eggs. I really like deviled eggs. I like deviled eggs. They're not like my go-to, but if they're around, I'm going to like pop one or two in. Mm-hmm. But also dark meat is superior. That's where all the flavor is. Yeah, I go crazy over. I'll go next. Uh, I'm also like, <laughs> I'm also like Reese and I'm just, I've, I've never been the biggest like holiday food. I feel like Thanksgiving and Christmas are kind of similar uh, in a way, but, or at least for me, but I've, I've also never been a big Thanksgiving food guy. Uh, I do like turkey. Um, you know, ma- macaroni and cheese has never really been like a Thanksgiving thing, but it just somehow is always there. So I like that. Mashed potatoes are good because then you can make like a little turkey and uh mashed potato sandwich with a little roll so i guess one of those <laughs> that sounds sick i don't know what y'all talking about i i load up my plate every thanksgiving i get in there at my grandma's house i see the dressing i'm scooping that shit on there i see the mashed potatoes i'm scooping that shit on there <laughs> i see the turkey i'm scooping that shit on the plate dude green beans cranberry sauce sweet potatoes what have you all of it i'm there for it i love the holiday food my absolute number one favorite at this exact moment after having experienced it once again to confirm my assessments is my grandma's sweet potato casserole with marshmallows melted on the top drizzling into the sweet potatoes it's practically a dessert that's part of the main meal 
uh it's just so sweet so succulent so juicy so all those nice good adjectives that you can use about food and other things i absolutely your grandma's dish yeah (laughs) i absolutely love a little sweet potato casserole um good leftover too I had it many times throughout the week after we were done eating it for for lunch on Thanksgiving. So, do you guys do lunch or think or dinner on Thanksgiving? Lunch, lunch. We do. You have leftovers. We do both because uh, we do my parents at like two o'clock, and then we do Olivia's parents normally at like seven. So, like if the it like balances everything out. They it was like a theater, so we did like a one o'clock lunch, but it was a ton of food, so we just. And if you're hungry again, you yeah, just eat up some stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, so my favorite, my tr- I'm also with Gage. Thanksgiving food is amazing. I don't know if it's the fact that like it doesn't really get made most of the year outside of Thanksgiving and some of it on Christmas, but it's so good. I love how the plate's just like yellow, orange, and just like some brown. It's all great. colors. It's all carbs. All It's great. Um I think so. My favorite growing up was rolls because, like, my parents had a bread maker that like needed the dough for you, and all. My mom messed up the recipe when you're gonna put too much butter in it, and she has not been able to recreate the roll recipe. And it lives you're exposing in her right now. No, the normal rolls are amazing. This that year, the rolls were wild. They were the best rolls ever, and it has not been <laughs> recreated since. But. I have to split this up into three. So the rolls, my mom makes these things called pumpkin squares, which it's a layer of like sugar butter graham cracker, a cream cheese and sugar layer, pumpkin, and then cool whip on the top. It's basically pumpkin pie, but with sugar and cream cheese. It's amazing. And then third is my wife's mashed potatoes. She says these will probably take a year off of your life. Because she just adds butter and heavy cream until it tastes right. This year, for eight potatoes, she added three sticks of butter, and they were the best mashed potatoes oh, I've ever had in my life. They were so mashed good. butter with some potatoes mixed in. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Oh my god, they were so good. Oh, they were amazing. Does anyone have any final thoughts on Thanksgiving food before we press on? No. Okay, good. The mystery segment this week is something slightly not very mysterious because as Euro 2024 has come around, the draw has happened. So we're going to go through each of the groups this week and pick out a team that really tickles our fancy to be favorite in the tournament no, sorry, favorite in the group and possibly favorite in the tournament to move on. Because um, obviously, if you're favorite in the tournament, you would be favorite in your group. So, Group A at this time, as we know, is comprised of Germany, Scotland, Hungary, and Switzerland. Now, of course, this is important because Germany are the hosts this year. Last tournament, it was hosted across uh, multiple different nations, of course, in the, the weird time frame of it being in 21 when it was actually called Euro 2020. Uh, and the one before that was in France. So Germany looking for some redemption, I think it's fair to say, in hosting this tournament. And I've got them favorites for this group. I think it's a non-controversial pick, um, but I think the home field advantage and the general quality that they have over the opposition is probably going to be enough. 
Right. I mean, when we had the World Cup in Russia, I mean, no one probably would have thought Russia would have gone as far as they did, but they just did so well because they were obviously his home home field. So, uh, yeah, I went with Germany and I also went with Germany just because I'm not too inspired by who else is in the group. I mean, I don't know too much about Hungary, but, uh, you know, SpongeBob. <laughs> that's pr- that's probably all I know uh, from Hungary. And then the other two are interesting because Scotland are a lot of their older players have moved on. And so is the same with Switzerland. I think. Josh, I'm going to be the weirdo here. I think Germany are once again going to dud it in another international tournament. Wow. I just don't really have the faith in them. And I'm going to go with Hungary. They've done it before in these kind of competitions. Like every time they make it, they generally shock a little bit. Like they, in Euro 2016, one of like my favorite memories, they just, they went head to head with Portugal and made it out of the group and did very well in the knockout stage, but had a tough loss in the round of 16 before. But it was a magical moment. I think Hungary is going to do surprisingly well in the tournament. Josh, you're not that weird because I also don't think Germany's going to top the group. Although I don't agree it's Hungary. I'm going Switzerland. Um, I think they're just consistently good in every tournament they're in. Um, and unless I'm mistaken, at the last Euros, they made it to the semifinals, I believe, uh, losing to Spain um, in a penalty shootout, if my memory is correct. So I think... They're going to top the group. I think just across across their whole starting 11, I find them a pretty balanced team. And I also think, you know, uh, I think Granit Xhaka has had a bit of a renaissance right now and is also tearing it up at Leverkusen. And I think that's going to uh, continue over into the national team. Okay, Group B, another team that's had some struggles in recent years uh, to regain its previous might. and. That being the the top seed of this group, which is Spain. However, they're joined by two other major European teams in the form of Croatia, Italy, and then the sort of minnows of the group, if you will, Albania, who did well at the last, or I think in Euro 2016 when they were in, um, made it out of the group stage by a third place playoff, if I remember correctly. Um, This is a tough one for me to pick, but I think given all things that I know at the moment, I'm going to go for another safe pick and take Spain. I think I'm not inspired by Italy, even though they are the reigning champions. I think there's too much turmoil, um, too much loyalty to players who maybe are past their prime um, and not enough inspiration for me in terms of the young crowd coming through. So Italy doesn't inspire me. Croatia, I think is well past it. I think this is the tournament where we're going to see they fully have fallen from from where they once were. Obviously, Modric, uh, the star man, is, what, 38, 39 now? Um, He can still do it, but he hasn't been playing for Real Madrid, and I don't expect him to play well necessarily at the Euros, or at least up to the standard that he has been playing. So for me, I'm going to take the safe safe pick once again and go with Spain. I'm also going to go with Spain, but I think it's because you saw how well they did last year and if they had not met like the magic of the tournament in Morocco they probably could have pushed to the final depending on how the subsequent games would have went um I just think 
they have a bunch of young players that I think last tournament was a major changing of the guard. You didn't see normals like PK Ramos and like the Hea in the back. I think you see very much of a changing towards that younger generation of Spanish players. I think it's going to work out very well for them in this tournament. I actually am going with Italy. I think, you know, Spain will still do really good. And I think the head to head versus Italy will be a good game for sure. But I, I was just really impressed with how Italy played last, uh, last uh, tournament, I guess, or whatever it was. And uh, I think they'll take kind of that momentum going in that they're the, the or that they won the last one. Um, I'm also going with Spain. Um, I don't have much to add. I do have a correction. I think I said Switzerland made it to the semis. I think it was the quarters. Um, not quite the semis, but anyway, yeah, I'm going with Spain. The, the one thing I did want to mention, though, is that at the last Euros, I think this was kind of the breakout tournament for, for Pedri, I believe mm-hmm. it was, um, but who I think is like really injured right now, like out for the season, I think. Uh, maybe I'm making that up. One of the young Spanish midfielders is injured. Um, which one plays for Barca? I think it's they both do. Pedri oh, and God. Gavi, they both do. It's <laughs> one of them. One of them's injured. Anyway, I think um, that is something to note. But I think they also just have a lot of quality, especially in midfield. They just always produce good midfielders, so it's not too much of a worry. I don't think. Race, I'm going to stick with you for the opening foray into Group C, which contains such teams of interest to us as England, uh, first of all, followed up by Slovenia, Denmark, and Serbia, which is an interesting group from a lot of standpoints. Reese, as the, our resident England hater, I'm going to pass it off to you first and see if your hate trend continues. Uh, as much as I hate them, they're going to win this this group. I think they may be favorites to win the tournament as well. The team they have uh, amassed and, and like some of the players they're bringing through even within the last few years um, with additions like Jude Bellingham and um, Sokka's fully integrated into the side. Uh, who'd you say? Ollie Watkins? Yeah. Yeah. Watkins now an option. Uh, Kane obviously still around. Um, Declan Rice. I mean, look at the midfield. It's absolutely insane. Declan Rice, Jude Billingham, and then, you know, whoever you want in that third spot, you know, James Madison, um, Phil Foden. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of high quality options there. Um, so I, I generally think now I'm still a Maguire hater and I think he might play. He does play better for England than he does for club. And he's actually been playing okay for United recently, but I don't, I'd be very curious to see who is starting in defense for them. General John Stone. (laughs) Honestly, I hope it's John Stones. I think he's, he's had a good year. um, Good. Like last, last season as well. So yeah, I think England easily, to be honest. England for sure. I mean, like Reese just said, you've got all these players that are breaking through into the team, like uh, with more of an emphasis on Bellingham and uh, and and stuff like that. But uh, I think they'll have a, a decent time against you know the people around them. I think you know Denmark will still be a decent team. There's a lot of good players in there, but you know England have just gotten so much better, and you know they still keep a lot of the same you know players who have been in the squad for a long time. But they've introduced these players over over the time, and yeah, they're going to be a fun to watch. 
Uh, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> that is productive. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page. I think they got a very favorable group matchup. So if they can gain a lot of momentum through the groups, maybe not waste as much of their collective energy on getting through the group games, they'll actually be able to pull through a knockout stage without everyone getting tired, injured, or otherwise. Um, I think you have players who are setting records at their various clubs and leagues. Harry Kane, Jude Bellingham, as mentioned, even Bukayo Saka, who I don't think we mentioned, um, who's ripping it up. So, yeah, for me, it's England easily. Group D, we only know three teams so far. It is a strong group, though, as we know. It's Netherlands, France, Austria, and then one of the playoff winners from the Nations League. So of the Netherlands, France, and Austria, you'd have to say for the group win, it probably comes down between France and the Netherlands. And for me, it's just to the stage where I think Netherlands has a very promising team. We saw... Some of the elements of that when they knocked the United States out of the World Cup in the round of 16, they have a lot of good prospects coming up. I just don't know that they're quite established enough to take on uh, France, who are reigning consensus, generally best team in the world, I would say. And for, for that reason, I think Mbappe and France, in spite of maybe them being weakened in areas of defense and midfield, I think they'll still be favorites for this group. I think so, yeah. too. I think Netherlands just... They're good with the Mbappe effects. And Mbappe like is just like the best of the best from the best team in the world. I think he's just such an X factor. I mean, you see what saw what he did on the biggest stage in the World Cup final. Was beaten by Messi, basically. Um, but yeah, I don't have too much else to add. I just think Mbappe is going to be too good, especially in the group stage, because I just think he's going to run through Austria. And the other four teams in the uh, path A of the playoff are not very strong. I think it's going to be – they're going to get a very easy six points. And I don't think it will be an easy six points against the Netherlands, but I do think they'll beat them as well. Yeah, also France. <laughs> Nothing yeah. else to add. Yeah, I, I do think this will be a fun group because, you know, France and Netherlands, you know, promising young players in both teams. But, you know, with France, you immediately think, you know, they've got their star with Mbappe, you know. Not to say that Netherlands don't have like a star in like Van Dyke, but you know, he's been playing very in the shadow of his former self this year so far. So maybe he can turn around, but you know, all eyes on France right now. Group E might be another simple foregone conclusion for the most part, um, not to be disrespectful to these other nations, but it's another three-man group. As of right now, we've got Belgium, Slovakia, Romania, and Mystery. Uh, for me, it's Belgium easily. I think Slovakia and Romania just are two of the weakest teams in the tournament. You know, again, no disrespect. They have done really well to get here, but I think on paper, they are two of the weakest teams in the tournament. And and Belgium, the incessant almost rands, I think, tend to always do well in the group stage and then collapse uh, come time for the knockout stage, even though I think, didn't they go out in the group stage in the World Cup now that I say that? But yeah. Because well, I think yeah, but was... they kind of imploded, like their squad was fighting. Yeah, true. But so that's an interesting like... dynamic to look at. But they also had like struggled to bring in younger players into the squad and mesh them in well, which led to De Bruyne going apeshit multiple times in the dressing room and on the pitch. I do think they're going to win the group, but I think it's solely based on the rest of that group is kind of awful. 
even the teams in path B, like path B is Wales play Finland and Poland play Estonia. So unless Levin, unless Poland make it and Lewandowski has like a world beating tournament, which I think would be not impossible, but hard, I think it would easily be Belgium. I thought Poland were in the other, in group D potentially. No, yeah. uh, the playoff, well, ah, nope, 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 nope. Wikipedia messed me up. This one is Bosnia versus Ukraine and Israel versus Iceland. Never mind, that's going to be. Israel versus Ukraine is a possible final there. <laughs> so. Winner doesn't get blown up. Okay. Um... <laughs> uh, I, I said Belgium too, and, you know, it's just because I, I know a lot of the Belgian players. I can't really say I know too much about the other two teams. But yeah, yeah. I'm also going Belgium. Um, I think they're just a lot better than the other sides. Nothing much to add. And Group F, which may end up being one of the closer ran groups, all things considered, uh, featuring one of my famous dark horse picks um, <laughs> for the last Euros, <laughs> which is Turkey. Um, Thanksgiving on Turkey. the brain. <laughs> Turkey, Portugal, yeah, and Czech Republic uh, matching up with playoff winner C, who, just for thoroughness, I will tell you, is one of Georgia, Luxembourg, Greece, or Kazakhstan, uh, which probably means it's Gosh, going to be Greece. Dream. Dude, I would go crazy, dude. If Georgia or Kazakhstan made the Euros, I would go absolutely crazy for until the group stage is over, and then it would die shortly, and I'd just watch it for fun. So we'll we'll see who ends up in that group, but I'm gonna pick Tur- uh, Portugal. <laughs> what was that? What did you say first? What did you say? <laughs> yeah, I w- Portugal for sure. I mean, you know, Czechia or Czech Republic, whatever. Uh, they have got a lot of good players, and and so does Turkey. But you know, it's just like different quality with Portugal. So, yeah, I'm also going Portugal. The thing about Portugal too is that I think because of Ronaldo's presence. Like that group have the winner mentality. Like even when they're losing, I just feel like when I'm watching Portugal, I'm like, man, these players are like they act like winners. If that makes sense, you know. So do we I, think I feel he's like... for sure gonna go. Do we know for sure he's gonna go? I don't think it's an issue if he doesn't go. I don't know if he is or not, but he got pulled off the pitch multiple times and didn't even start at least one game in the last World Cup. And they still looked very, very good. And they, had, and they played a lot of youth players, like Rafael Leal being one of the like main stays of the squad. And then that one striker who was playing for Benfica who had the hat trick Gonzalo against... Gonzalo Ramos. Yeah, Gonzalo Ramos looked amazing. So I think even if Ronaldo doesn't go, I would still be fairly confident in them doing very well in the group. I think a lot of people are predicting it to be his last international tournament. I think he'll go. I mean, I think it'd be crazy to not take him, even just for the, like, even if he's not playing, like, a lot of these players, especially the Portuguese players, will have, like, he is he is their role model, right? Like, they're growing up, they're playing soccer, they're watching Cristiano Ronaldo. So now they're, you know, stick him in a Euro side, Ronaldo's on the bench watching, and it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a oh my dad's watching. I got to do better, right? It's, yeah. Oh, Ronaldo's on the bench. I gotta I gotta show out, right? Especially it's kind of the effect with um the last World Cup. Like the squad wanted to win it for Messi, right? Yeah. 
So it kind of has that effect too. I and to to clarify, like I don't think it would be a Portugal would not select him to go to the Euros. I think it would be a him being like I am internationally retired. If anything. yeah, that's that's what I was insinuating too. I think they would be stupid not to take him. But if he doesn't want to go, then you know you can't force It'll him to be. go. So yeah. Well, that concludes our you know little mini preview of the Euros. I think we will come back with a more in depth preview once that tournament actually gets you know, within view, we still have a lot of Premier League left to cover before we get to that tournament. But when that tournament does come around, we will be sure to get across it with all of our full predictions and analysis and whatever else we may be doing at the time. Let's move on to some action from the Premier League. Now we're going to do a kind of whistle-stop tour across the games because there are some games that we want to look at in depth, some games that have some news items related that we need to discuss, and a couple games that we want to touch on just because they were absolute crackers. So um, let's get started with one of our more in-depth looks, and that is with Arsenal, who retained their spot at the top of the Premier League, taking advantage of an off week for Man City, although I think y'all were top anyway, right, with this win? Yeah. Um, taking advantage of an off week for Man City, nonetheless, by uh, picking up points again at Wolves, and a performance which I would probably consider comprehensive all things considered albeit a late flurry perhaps from wolves although i'm not sure how worried you would have been at the time what is your main takeaway from the game yeah i mean uh, like you said up until you know the last 10ish minutes when wolves got a get, got a goal back and got some momentum i was largely unconcerned about this game we completely dominated it um it was very kind of training ground esque and ethan was even saying like it kind of lulls you to sleep almost because we take the lead kind of early and then just yeah. kind of pass around the other team for the rest of the game. Well, I mean, um, I literally watched the the launch game with you and they scored like four in the, like the first 10 minutes. And I'm yeah. like, now I got to sit here for 80 minutes and watch y'all dominate some more. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was largely unconcerning. I mean, we definitely should have put the game to bed. Um, we had a couple of chances, notably the two that hit the post from Enketia and I think uh, I want to say Trossard had one hit the post. I can't quite remember, to be honest, but Nketiah definitely had one hit the post, um, which we should have extended the lead and been able to not even worry even after Wolves got a goal back. But um, it kind of is what it is. It came from uh, an individual error, a turn away, or turnover from um, Zinchenko as well. So it's just kind of one of those things. And we held out for the win. So um, that's, that's all that really matters. The... A big takeaway for this game, especially after Odegaard's goal, was like, oh man, we we look like we're kind of getting to top form right now. Uh, I think previously some of this season, we, we've been winning, which is good, but we haven't quite looked like we were fully gelled. I think the recent Lons game in the Champions League was really big, especially because we lost the reverse fixture. Um, and then this Wolves game, we just, we just looked more like our old selves from last year, um, which I'm really happy about. Um, very similar record to last year, actually. I believe it was after 14 games now. We were top of the league last year. And now after 14 games, top of the league and top of our Champions League group, which is good because I know a lot of people, including some Arsenal fans, were concerned about how we would cope with being in um, Champions League as well as trying to contend for the title. So, And obviously, I think we had an easier Champions League group. It was kind of, I, I joked when it got drawn and I said we had a Europa League group. But um, I think it's still important to uh, finish top there. 
Um, the other thing I'll, I'll kind of touch on Wolves very briefly. They got absolutely killed in midfield, which isn't that surprising. Obviously, we have Odegaard and Declan Rice in midfield, and then I've thought I think Havertz has looked good, although he didn't even start this game. It was Trossard, who I think has also looked good in this role. Um, he did play there a bit in preseason, um, so it's not something totally new. Um, but I think part of the reason they got overrun in midfield was I think they had two players who normally start for them in the midfield, either out due to suspension or injury. Um, so it was kind of uh, a midfield for Wolves that was comprised of players who don't normally play together. So um, I think that was part of the issue. But yeah, I mean, they didn't really have a chance in this game. Yeah, Mario Lamina was the number one notable absentee for them who bossed the midfield against Spurs. Um so, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Trossard at eight because I wanted to bring that up. I thought that was the first time we'd seen that incarnation this season. Um, I wasn't too sure about that, but possibly... It is the first in the league. Um, I think he played there once or twice in preseason. I think um, for Wolves, this is probably a nothing burger. I think you just kind of move on. Um, they've had a good spell of results. It's the top team in the league. Nothing to worry about. Um, I will say I have I found this out recently, and I'm this is very impressive, but it kind of is just like makes you think about it more. Uh, not the exception being the first game of the season, they've scored in every game since then. Yeah, Wolves, which is mm-hmm. yeah, wow. Every game they've they've at least gotten a goal uh, other than the first game of the season. So, uh, the the scoring is there. They just need to find a way to build that midfield up. Uh, and you know that way they don't get run through and then have strong strong people at the back so that's just something they need to address i was interested by the tactics from um from uh our old pal gary um but uh he didn't really play normally how teams have been playing against us this year which is you know kind of just sit back soak up pressure try and counterattack because that's kind of how you have to play against our high possession um system they did have a back three which you know looked like it may have been a back five but they were really committing those those wing backs forward um and just kind of letting the center backs do their thing which i think was part of the issue right i think um that definitely helped us get it to the box and you know i think you look at the odegaard goal i I don't know if that happens if you have more players in the box defending but i think it's a brave choice and i think it's kind of one of those where you kind of say, I don't think we're going to get points from this game. Let me just see if we can do something that I want to do type of thing. It's a safe place to experiment because if you get destroyed, you just can say, ah, oh, well, it was Arsenal. We'll get them next time. Right. So, yeah. Any final thoughts on Arsenal from you, Reese? No, that's all I got. So now we're going to move along to another game, which I don't think any of us paid especially close attention to. But the reason we're going to address it is because of some news surrounding it, which has broken recently. Now, Ethan pointed this out to us in the group earlier. Sheffield United destroyed by fellow strugglers Burnley 5-0. And it's led to what we believe will be the sacking of Paul Heckingbottom uh, imminently. Now, Ethan as you were the one to bring it up, I'm going to come to you first. What is your initial gut reaction to this decision by Sheffield United? It's just one of those things where it's like, you obviously can't sack the whole squad because they're no doubtably a championship level squad. 
Uh, and so they just need to get him out and try something new. You know, they've had him, I think, times that they were in the league uh, before this past one, and they had him in the championship. And so they might, you know, have a good relationship with the team or him and the team. But I just think, you know, you got to try something else because it's obviously not working. And, you know, going up against uh, your relegation strugglers, Burnley, and letting them score five is quite ridiculous. So, yeah, it's just is something you can't do and obviously a result like that is going to make that happen so and i predicted it oh i can buy first to go he was the first one gone i forgot i well, thought Iriola was gone but yeah. he's not well, yeah. i guess it hadn't been announced yet but it looks like it so it i am like curious later... sorry you go ahead this feels like one of the later sackings of recent of later yeah. first sackings yeah. of recent December. memory because especially because like the top six generally have had one of them in the traditional top six has had a very rough first run of games. And like someone Chelsea the trigger. Yeah, like Chelsea or <laughs> like y'all a couple of years ago. Yeah, Euro, yeah. Um, just like pull the trigger and sack someone. But no one has been objectively well, I was gonna say no one's been objectively awful, but there have been some teams that have been objectively really awful. Um but it just, not it's not without reasonability weird. though. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, like no one has like everything like has made sense so far. Like outside of Everton getting the point deduction, like the bottom three kind of made sense. Like none of them really had Premier League ready squads or made the additions ready for the Premier League. And no one has been like completely out of place. I think Chelsea have kind of accepted that, like, oh, we're not gonna be great this first season, or you know, they'll do Chelsea things and sack Pochettino in March. Who knows? Yeah, wait, real quick before Reese, you bring up your point. They we found out that they were also under a transfer embargo. Oh yeah. Which I'm like, I, I don't know how or why they had that. I don't know if it was I'm, I'm gonna they... try to research it quickly if I can while Reese makes a point, but yeah, I don't I really understand that either. Yeah, because yeah, they've signed somebody, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. signed Maybe the Summer this summer. Was it yeah, you know what? I don't even know. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. I think I think the sacking isn't because they're in last. I think it's purely on the basis that they dropped points to both Luton and Burnley. Because realistically, like, what were they expecting, right? Maybe 19th? Like, there's it's still relegation in the end, right? But I think dropping points to both Luton, who they probably would have hoped to do better than in the league, and Burnley, I think is is the reason for this, but I just don't know. Like I'm not that surprised with where Sheffield are. So I am curious, like, I don't really know if anyone could have not gotten sacked because I don't think the, I don't think, uh, I think think the story changes with another manager. I don't know. I don't think it, well, I mean, it could, I think that's the whole point of sacking someone with six months left in the season is you have someone who with the relegation battle looking like it's going to be semi-close with with Everton's deduction depending on how they do the rest of the season like there is still some hope that one of them can claw their way out of the relegation zone and you have six months of the season left that's still a lot to be played still have over half the season so someone might have some tactical nuance that will be able to take a really awful team and get them out of the relegation zone, which if you love this fight a second season, that gives you a decent chunk 
gives you a good running in for the next season because somebody's going to come up from the championship. That's probably not that good. So two things. One, I'll clarify the transfer embargo situation first, and then I'll add my point to what you just said. Apparently what had happened was they were under a transfer embargo in January and they wanted to bring players in and EFL told them no. So they weren't allowed to sign players in January. It was then lifted before they made it up to the Premier League. So they were able to sign people, but apparently they were also in the midst of an ownership change while that was occurring. So the owners who were incumbent didn't want to spend an entirely large amount of money in the summer if they were about to sell. So new ownership was coming in, which the transfer has still, or the trans, the takeover has still remained incomplete. So no ownership changes happened at this time. So that's kind of the full story in terms of their transfer embargo versus uh, what's happening now. But my feeling on the manage the management change, and and I said this in the group earlier today, was, I mean, it feels like an insurmountable hill. But then you kind of take a look at it, and I've brought this up before on the show, and and starting to think about maybe what they can do to galvanize themselves going forward. You have a lot of emotionally crushing moments throughout the season. So like the first of which obviously being you're up one nil away at Spurs in the 98th minute and find a way to lose the game. And then the next week, immediately after that, you concede eight goals away at Newcastle. Then a few weeks pass, you don't really get too many results. You pick up a couple points here and there. Now you've got this big game away to Burnley at Turf Moor, which is a tough place to go, but you've got to think that you'd be up for it. You'd be raring and ready to go. Your relegation rivals, you're going to try to get a point out of it and you get demolished, crushed. I mean, their spirit was crushed from the first minute when Jay Rodriguez scored. Um, So for me, I think it's just a matter of, there's been so many mentally damaging moments throughout the season that it would almost be impossible for the manager not to lose the squad. Like, how do you keep someone bought in in that situation? Um, And I think maybe in that regard, they have to change the manager because there's no possible way that Hecking Bottom could get them to buy back in, given all the things that have happened so far this season. Um, Even though the results in isolation, if you look at them one by one, they're not the most unexpected or out of the blue results. It's just the combination of this emotional distress on the team that leads to what I think is probably the right decision. Um, I mean, it's, it's a tough look to lose five nil to, to the uh, direct relegation rival as Ethan points out earlier. So also a rough look for Oliver McBurney, who earns his second red card of the season uh, on only match week 14 and uh, has only scored one penalty so far. So not the impact he's been looking for. They may uh, maybe need to seek a striker or some goal scoring in January. So, um, I would ask who they're going to bring in, but honestly, I don't know who's available, and I don't know who is in their purview. To be completely honest, so um, we'll just have to wait and see who they decide to hire. Let's touch on another game quickly one that I think brings a smile to all of our faces, and that is the affair at St. James's Park, especially Reese's. As you notice, he smiled before I even said it. Um, Man United once again coming up short with a loss to Newcastle. We're speaking about managers and their future outlooks. What is the outlook for Ten Hag at this exact moment, Reese? 
So the thing about it is they just had a run of, we've talked about it like last year where Man United always just has a random run of games against uh, like the universe where they win one nil over and over again. <laughs> and that kind of just happens. So like, they're not actually like in the league. I think they're in seventh or eighth, something like that. They're in sixth. Right uh, oh my God. They're even or higher no, than I thought they were. Seventh, oh, okay. sorry. But, I saw uh, the two Uniteds and my brain was like, mm. yeah, they're in seventh right now. Um, but it's like, man, I like, I think the, the games they win are not from the manager. Like, I don't think he is offering anything tactically. So if I was the owner, which I'm not, and it's probably for a good reason, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I don't think they should be sticking with him on because he has had enough time now to implement his ideas and certainly more than enough money. Um, and I know they have injuries and whatever, whatever, I don't care. They do not look like have, they have a tactical identity. It's concerning when your best player has been implemented in the side as of like one game ago and is 18 or, or however old Minu is. I don't remember how old he is. Yeah. I mean, their midfield just looks terrible. Uh, I think McTominay in this midfield trio is just like, what? why is he there? Like, what is he, what is his purpose? To score goals. Yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. crazy. It's funny because he does get goals, but like, what else does he offer? And I He's know goals are good. Goals are good. But that is not what they need in their midfield. Like, he just kind of exists and takes up space. Um, and I mean, they're still, they're still starting McGuire. They're, I don't know if okay. he started, but I think Evans played um this okay this game it was mcguire and then three wing backs surrounding him when they have varan on the bench i don't care if he just got injured you got to be playing him and lindelof yeah like i mean one nil doesn't look as bad but if newcastle could have finished i mean they hit the post multiple times they missed it by millimeters multiple times it could have been like a million to nothing it's just you have to. It doesn't a matter. Million just... to nothing. <laughs> it could have been. Wow. <laughs> I saw this said... thing. I Newcastle are linked to the Haya now. Now that um, I saw that Nick Pope is hurt, I saw this thing that said they play on April twenty fourth, and David De Gea is going to have like a magical clean sheet. Then that game is going to keep United from getting in the Champions League. And I think that would be the funniest thing to ever happen. They're finally well, going to get De Gea by De Gea. Yeah. <laughs> Everything they do is is hilarious to me. And it just it makes me like, like I'm not even surprised anymore. Like, literally, Garnacho scores this bike, which is probably going to win goal of the year. And then they immediately get a draw in the Champions League against Galatasaray after yeah. being up 3-1. Uh, Tin Hog coming back with a hair transplant from Turkey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you seen those pictures of him with uh, hair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but... Like, and then I, this is, has nothing related to the game, but there was like a, a TikTok and it was this, uh, like, I don't, it was some other uh, teams fan and then a United fan. And it was a squad builder between Newcastle and United. And the dude sat there and, and it was like Nick Pope or Onada. And the guy was like, Nick Pope. And then the United fan was like, I think I'm going Onada. And I'm like, you're not serious right now. This man has had so many mistakes this season. You're picking him over Nick Pope. Delusional. Yeah. Speaking of Champions League 2, kind of going back a bit, they're potentially going to get their last in their group. They're going to get last. 
They could still finish second in the group, to be fair, but they're they not might gonna. get last. They're not gonna. I think it's really funny that they got one point from two games with Galatasaray, whose squad I saw the thing that said their squad sounds like oh my god, everybody just sat around and just like named players. So there's like Saha and Cardi. There's multiple others that I just can't think of, but this the squad. The Yes. Yeah. If, if I was, uh, like, upsettingly addicted to gambling, like, concerningly addicted, I would bet everything on United getting last in the group. <laughs> I didn't realize, so I knew, I knew that they had one more game left, and I knew that it was close. I didn't realize that they've already played Galatasaray in Copenhagen twice. They have to play Bayern. Yeah. That's crazy. They're going to get last. They're going to get last. <laughs> I can not... drive down to Florida and place all of our monies equally, and then we'll just split it up. No. <laughs> the, literally, in the in the pregame to that Galatasaray and United game, there's, like, video footage of Zaha pulling up to the game with a Fanta and a kebab. And he's just, like, so unconcerned with this game because it's United. Turkey is a made-up place, bro. I I don't know what goes on there, but there's nothing real. That I love it. There. I know. I, I one of my best friends lived there for four years, and I think he's making it up. I don't think he's telling the truth. I love it. Um, I'm convinced Onana has a twin brother as well. One of them plays in the Prem, the other one plays in Champions League because he has technically, like, on the stat that's like prevented goals. Onana's top in the Premier League, but he has conceded the most goals out of any keeper in the Champions League. It's like the sick joke he has with this so-called twin brother that they're like, who's going to start today? Yeah. They flip a coin. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. There are two goalkeepers. One always tells the truth. The other one always lies. It's like it's like the real one isn't there in training, but if Tin Hawk gets mad at him at any point, he's like, I'm over the edge. And then they switch at like before the game. Yeah. Schrodinger's Onana. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's like, this is so unrelated, but okay, here's a trivia question for you. And none of you are going to know the answer, but the pair of brothers with the highest points in NHL history is the Gretzky brothers, because Wayne Gretzky has like 2,800 NHL points and Brent Gretzky has three NHL points. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I thought it was going to be like, a, I thought it was going to be like the Sedin twins yeah. or like not <laughs> nope it's That's the Gretzky because his his brother did play in the nhl so I, th- I think the hughes brothers are coming for it uh no dude gretzky has more like points in the nhl than you have farts in a lifetime and that's saying something i don't know so. about that that <laughs> i would i would go i, I would think. be concerned if you had even close to the amount of farts that he has points <laughs> okay okay let's we're not doing this. We're not doing no, this. We're, not. we're moving on. Um, How many times do you think you farted since you were born, Josh? <laughs> Over 2,857. No way. There's no Wait. way. Hold on. That's I'm just an unabsurd to. amount of farts for my brain to process. Right okay. Now. Do you think you farted every day? You've been alive. No, I don't think so. What? Okay. Now that's a Every day? You're on my side, surely. I'm not. Every day you fart? Okay. You kind of do that you when think... you poop. That's pooping. But dude, <laughs> okay. dude. If I'm okay, sitting wait. down to poop, I don't count it. Should well, I count no it? No poops. Do you think you have farted every other day in your life? Every other day? 
problem. You technically have to okay. say yes because you make I'll a fart noise fun. every day. If we go with the youngest person, I'm 22. See, that's 300, 365 days for 22 years. That's 8,030 farts. Okay. okay. You just admitted that you <laughs> farted 4,015 times. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, United and Manure. We just did the math on Josh's farts versus Wayne Gretzky's NHL points. Okay. What a, what a tie-in. So one, These brothers have to get 900 each. That's achievable. For two of them, it is. Luke's not going to get 900. That's like as anyway. many farts as you have in two days, Josh. <laughs> I know. It's wild. Or the amount he just had right now. <laughs> the bronchitis is back. I'm going to have to edit that out. That was horrible. Um, I think Luke Hughes could do it. I think he's getting... Why are we still talking about this? I'm just... It's his rookie <laughs> year. Yeah, we got to move on to hockey. <laughs> Chelsea won three two at Brighton in spite of uh, having a red card from Connor Gallagher, and they should have had another one because Moises Caicedo should have had about thirty uh, yellow cards during the game. Continuous fouling, continuous bad behavior, bad behavior. Um, Enzo finally did good. Yeah, Enzo. Kind of. It's like London buses. I mean, all they only they scored three goals, but they're all from set pieces and they're all ugly except for the penalty. So I mean, I don't. I know there was that curse where like he only had like a few wins, <laughs> being in the squad or something like that. Yeah, like two or three, something like that. Yeah. Sure. Um, more, but... I I really just wanted to mention this because I think. Uh, we've had another refereeing disaster in terms of oh my the God. fact that what I know which one you're talking about. Which one? The penalty at the end, or the non-penalty? I guess the, the that, yeah. that's the one I was talking whatever about. Whatever was yeah. whatever was happening, I don't even know. Not not to mention the fact that uh, the one that Enzo Fernandez was given should not have even been a penalty, in my opinion. Um, it's uh, just another one of those. Went down? Yeah. Uh, I'd have to watch it again. When I first me, watched it, I didn't have an issue with it. But for me, it was just him and Milner going shoulder to shoulder. But I mean, maybe revisionist history. Anyway, someone else talk about the one at the end because that's not what I was talking about. Oh, okay. I don't even know what happened. Like the referee, so it, they they call. There's a VAR check for handball. The the check clearly shows that it hits the defender in the face. Does not hit his hand. His hand is up. Hits him in the face. They tell him to go look at the monitor. Now, this is the clearest non-handball of all time. But they say, you need to go look at the monitor. The referee goes and looks at the monitor. And he blows for a penalty. And then when he walks over, he's giving a drop ball. And everyone's like, what is happening? You just gave a penalty. So I don't, I like don't know what happened. I also don't know why it was a drop ball because if it hit yeah, it went face out. and went out, it would have been a corner. And so right. just everyone was confused and no one knew what was happening. Right. And it's the fact that, you know, obviously they got the penalty decision right, but, you know, that's an opportunity that Brighton could have had to, you know, possibly get on the board again and tie it. So it's just like, it's like they can't even do the basic of refereeing. That is the worst part by far. It's like you did a good thing and then you went and just like shoved the kid down down a hill. Like right. you did so well and then did something so stupid. 
Right. And does a corner obviously, you know, get them a goal automatically? No, but still you, you shouldn't be messing up these small things. Yeah, and they're so there. it's to the point of over officiating the game. Just tell him, just get in his ear and say, it's not a penalty. We think it's just gone out for a corner. It's gone off his dome. It's a corner. And then the ref gives a corner. He doesn't have to go look at the monitor. We don't have to do this whole song and dance. Yeah. The thing is, is that I think he gave a corner originally un- until they did the VAR check. So he reversed it for a draw ball for some reason. I don't well, know the draw like, ball rules. Maybe it was real, but I don't know. Then um, as he's like going over there, the Brighton players like taking it to the corner and then just like kicks it at him because he says, give me the ball. And then it's just like mass chaos ensues again. Both managers look like they don't know what's going on, which if the manager doesn't know what's going on, it's also a very bad day. So from one relatively insane result to another and then to another after this one, um, we'll move on and briefly touch on probably the game of the weekend from an entertainment standpoint being Liverpool-Fulham with a 4-3 win for Liverpool in the end. A couple of absolute banger oh goals goodness. in this one as well. I don't know if which fo- one you like better, the McAllister one or the Endo one, but... If football was food, we ate good that game. Yes, we did. <laughs> and that was both of their first goals for Liverpool, too, uh, which is an insane kind of thing to bring up. And then uh, all of Fulham's goals were unfortunately not quite so aesthetic, but they all yeah. count the same. Um, <laughs> I think... Liverpool are legitimate title contenders. I think there is a serious case to be made that they may win the title this season. And I think part of that goes into the fact that they're finding ways to win. Their midfield composition is slightly starting to slide into place. Um, City look like they maybe are a little bit off from what they usually are. Of course, Arsenal are probably going to be favored ahead of Liverpool, but... I don't know. I mean, I think games like this go to show that Liverpool are in the mix for the title for me, for sure. Because they would have easily lost this had this been the past two seasons. I think without the shadow of a doubt, they were not the same team from when they won the title and they are showing signs of just like the grit that they had when they did win the title. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down in my notes, if they go on to keep this competitive all the way to the end, this will be a game they look back at. Uh, Because it really is such a... It's a huge confidence boost, and it was a must-win game, too. Obviously, this was before the Spurs and the City game, but presumably you're counting on somebody dropping points. Um, obviously, Tottenham have a great record at the Etihad. Um, so it really is must-win because, you know, you have the potential of passing City if things go your way. Um, and in this kind of game, it is, yeah, it's just one of those where – you have to win at all costs and you have to find a win, a way to win at all costs. And they do. They also have the last month of the season is not terribly difficult. They have West Ham, Tottenham, Villa, Wolves. So like they have some tough games in there, but not as bad as it could be. And I think when you look at title contenders, those last four to six games, I think are extremely important. Now, what I will say, I think, the biggest thing I learned from last year's title push with Saliba getting injured and uh, City's continued investment in the defense is that defense really does win championships. It's kind of that old adage. And I think Liverpool's defense is their weakest aspect right now. 
Um, Ethan kind of touched on it in the Euro preview, but Van Dyke is not really playing up to his normal self. I think having that inverted side of Trent is great because he's never been that great defensively, but it, it does make him worse. I mean, you take a look at the first goal. It came from Trent's side, which he wasn't actually even on in the replay because he was out of position because he had inverted. So um, there's, there's some issues there and they have leaked goals a bit this season, but um, <laughs> if you, it is true though, if you outscore your opponents, it doesn't matter how many you concede. So. Well, and they do have this apparent injury crisis that's kind of just spawned up out of nowhere. I think one of the most notable absentees for me in this game was Allison Becker, who um, I think multiple of those Fulham goals don't go in if Allison's in the net. Not to say Kelleher's a bad player, but I don't love really any of the Fulham goals. I think Allison probably saves at least two of them for me, so... I think that's something to consider as well. I think Joel Matip wasn't he removed from an injury or with an injury from the game. So concerning stuff at the back for Liverpool, all things considered. Um, I don't like Simicus. I think Robertson is leagues and leagues ahead of him, even at his current downturn state. Um, I know. Yeah, I just, I, I don't buy Simicus. So uh, any final thoughts on Liverpool or Fulham for that matter? I did have a standout player for Fulham, and that's Anthony Robinson. He is just such an athlete. Like, he might be the most athletic person I've ever seen. Like, he yeah. is just unbelievable running all over the pitch. He's and huge, it's always, too. He's just, yeah, like... He's, he's large, and it's always that full, full speed as well. Like, he just has unending energy. It does make you, like, that old, like, American adage of, like, if our best athletes actually played soccer, how good our national team would be. Cause like, he is like one of those, like probably like one of the better athletes in the like men's national team. Just from like an athletic perspective, if we had like our best players playing soccer, how good we would be. Imagine him like, delivering crosses to Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> or just like, I think the funniest one is LeBron. Cause like, imagine if LeBron was a striker in the men's national team, just like six, eight, he probably would be what, like two twenty as a soccer player, which is still insane. A diving header from Lagoofy Le- to win the <laughs> world cup for the United States. <laughs> um, Ethan, I interrupted you. You go ahead. No, you're good. I, I was sitting there and trying to think about what Fulham are. You know, obviously they get good results and they, you know, they've got a lot of standout players, but I just, I have no idea how they play stuff like that. It might be, you know, the fact that when Palace played them back in, uh, I guess it was September or whenever we played them, they, I, I can't remember anything from that game. So, you know, you used to be able to just say that you chuck it up to Mitra every time, but it's hard to figure out what they are, what their plan is going forward. I will say Marco Silva in all of his batches with being a manager in the prem does has done a very good job of adapting to who they played. Like when he was at Wolves, especially. Or yeah. Am I thinking? No. Yes. Yeah. Or no, no, no. Watford. Because they said Marco Silva was at Wolves, dude. <laughs> I was there's the Portuguese connection that made me think it. Um like even when he was at Watford, like they did a very good job of adapting who they were playing and got some decent results when they probably shouldn't have with how bad that Watford was, how bad that Watford team was at times. Yeah, 
it's it's he's for sure a good manager it's just it's hard to figure out these days like i can sit and watch highlights and still be confused but it works sometimes so can't fault that for me it always seems like he's something of a one season wonder like he'll have one really really good season in the premier league and then it starts to peter out after that i mean you go all the way back to when he first was in the prem with hull and he kept him up for one season and Everyone was like, this is incredible. This is the greatest manager we've ever seen. And then they got dummied the next season and relegated like with force. Um, took him to an FA Cup final, I think, against Arsenal that season too. Yeah. And then came back. I can't remember if he was at Everton or Watford first. I think he was at Watford. Um, yeah. Did all right with him for a season. Got relegated. Goes to Everton. Does all right with him for a little while. They decide they don't want him anymore. Same thing with Fulham here. Does great with them for a season when they're newly promoted. Now starting to peter out a bit. Is he going to be there by the end of the season? Who knows? Um, so interesting one to keep an eye on for sure. Now let's move along to probably the other blockbuster of the week, uh, which is always a blockbuster for some reason. I don't know what it is about this fixture. I don't know what it is about these two teams that just every time they play something insane happens. Uh, that is Spurs skipped, versus City. We skipped Palace if you want to do that one first. We certainly save, did skip Palace. And save Spurs City for last. <laughs> we, we did skip Palace. Sorry, I wrote down on my notes and, and did not write Palace down, unfortunately. Well, it was a crappy game anyway, so that's probably why. Sorry. But, <laughs> no, you're good. The I mean, out of all the games that happened on Sunday, that was definitely the worst. Just, a, I mean, from the scoreline alone, but just from you actually watching it. So I got stuck with that crap. But... Uh, this is just another typical Roy is dealing with a lot of injuries. And so he's just going to grind out a, a draw, take him as they come, but still so annoying to watch this happen because we've got so many good tools that we have or at our disposal, but he's just not willing to use them. Like, like I took a few screenshots of tweets that I've seen over time from like the, where I get a lot of the news. So before this game, he said that, uh, Franca and Ahamada are works in progress. I'm like, okay, I can get that. They're young players, you know, still needs time to develop. I get that. Uh, and then you go to this one that says, uh, this doesn't include Alhamada, but out of Dean Henderson, Rob Holding, and Franca, they cost a collective 40 million pounds and only have combined for 31 minutes of Premier League football this season. So why are we spending 40 million on, on players we're not even going to use slash didn't even need in the first place? Uh, it beats me. And, you know, when watching this game, I'm sitting here thinking we he can't, you know, Franca, you know, might take some time to uh, to to gel, to to develop more. He's not an academy player. He needs to be getting minutes. He's only came or he's only come on a few times this season. He's been playing a lot of academy games. We've spent 20 million dollars on this man. He needs to be playing these games because, like, you know, we, we were able to get a goal immediately uh midway through the game through Edward but you know we just we were lacking a lot of the pace and urgency to kind of get something from this game which is annoying because it's like West Hamburg were kind of throwing everything forward we definitely could have had you know a pacey player on the wing or in the midfield to kind of catch them off and win like we did last time at at uh, the London Stadium last season so it's really unfortunate to kind of see us lie over and you know not try our best and we started kicking the ball around in the corner around the 80th minute like I was just keeping it in the corner and I was like, man, we're doing this against West Ham with 10 minutes to go, not even including the amount of stoppage time we had. So yeah, it's just very frustrating. Uh, 
the the last tweet, and I kind of uh, sympathize with it, is that someone mentioned that Roy is kind of damaging the long-term future of this club because uh, he's not even providing any short-term positives with, you know, not even going to be here for that long. So uh, it's like, why is he here? Why can't we just focus on someone new? And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm worried because our December is going to be really tough, but, you know, I guess we're kind of just vibing at the moment. I would have even liked to have seen Franca at Cam because Chris Richards at CDM, interesting experiment. I actually liked him there, but the yeah, thing he's, is, he's strong defensively, but he offers nothing in transition because he's a center back. So when you have that, your outlet ball cannot be Will Hughes. Like that's just not an option. And the funny thing about it is that Chris Richards wasn't even planned to start. He even mentioned that Jeff Schlupp had a family thing come up last minute. So Schlupp was going to play in the midfield this week. Uh, and I've come to find out, having seen Hughes play both 10 and into six role, that he can't do either of them. He has to play in an eight role whenever Lerma can't play because he can't do either a six or a 10. So that was another thing that got caught out. And I think Will giving the ball away, uh, playing as a 10 this game, definitely saw uh, Kudu score, who's a danger man. He's going to be great for West Ham going forward. But uh, my last my last point was uh, I was a lot of people, including myself, you know, I've been on the Edward, Edward train for so long. It's like, he scores, but just every game he plays, it looks very unconvincing of him scoring, but he scored again. So it's a very, very weird instance where he he's just going to score, even though, you know, he might look really bad at the moment. So hopefully we can get some more people like him uh, who actually play well. So yeah, anyway, that's Did have a, I had a question about the defense because okay. yeah. normally I am very positive about y'all's defense. Um but y'all were getting a little bit exposed with over the top balls specifically. And it wasn't just Joel Ward, which is normally, he's normally the scapegoat for obvious reasons. He's old and slow. It wasn't just him. Uh, yeah. What's going on? Because yeah, the Cinebell pairing didn't really, it didn't change. Uh, right. I feel like this wasn't always an issue. Yeah. And I think this kind of ties in with just how West Ham are. I think they've always been a physical team. You know, they've always got tall players like Socek. Uh, they've added Edson Alvarez into the team and then they're back, they're back to her, you know, powerful like that. But even then that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, we're starting to see some cracks. I mean, I could even say it in the Everton and the Luton game that we should have gotten points, but we ended up, you know, losing pretty bad, but our defense was just looking terrible in both of those. So it's kind of, it's just, it feels like the club is not at a good spot right now. And it feels like they're, we're lacking confidence we're lacking the good energy to go out and win these games. So it's, it's frustrating, frustrating feeling at the moment. And, you know, it's like one of those situations where like, if you feel like nothing is going to happen and nothing's going to change. So it's just kind of like, like literally when Edward scored, I was like, like, that's all, that's all I gave. Cause I was just like, I'm so done right now. But yeah, the defense is cracking and it's like our, our one good thing is cracking right now. So. Yeah, hopefully uh can start turning things around. Anyway, now now Spurs. Spurs now sitting. yeah, sorry, now I'll talk about Spurs. I got excited. <laughs> I've I got wound up. No, you're good. Go, it was go a good game. The bald fraud. Um who... before you before you before you said anything, I was uh I was literally like doing stuff around the house, like nailing paintings and whatnot. And when the last thing in the game happened, I almost fucking fell off the ladder because <laughs> it was so insane. So that's how crazy this game was. Yeah, this game was nuts. Um, I was still feeling pretty, like, piddly under the weather 
at the time that this happened. So I was like laying on my couch <laughs> whenever Kulisevsky scored the last minute winner. And I was like, yeah. Uh, but so unfortunately not, Wait, not any. Ex- yeah, no. Or yeah, sorry. It feels, it feels <laughs> like a win. winner. It feels yeah. like a win. Um, so no naked scenes from me in the, in the apartment at this time, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about these teams, this game, Pep Guardiola, that he just cannot beat Spurs. I don't know why. <laughs> like, it's just hilarious to me that the greatest manager of the greatest team in the world right now, for some reason, cannot get over a Tottenham-shaped hump. I don't know what it is, but it kills me every time. Sun scores every single game. Kulisevsky has scored every time he's ever played at the Etihad. Uh, LaCelso has three goals in the Premier League, and two of them are against Man City. So it's just some unknown force wants us to exude justice on man city and it feels good um i kind of felt like getting a draw out of this game when we definitely did not deserve one uh was some kind of justice because i think we did deserve a draw at least against aston villa um probably a win because we played really well against villa and um we just couldn't take our chances and and villa could take theirs and that's pretty much exactly what happened in this game like City played well, not great, I will say, but they played well. And we managed and took our chances when they came and City didn't. Um, it was a rare off day for Holland, that fraud, um, who <laughs> who was also I mean, at been struggling. Fault. He was at fault for the Lacelzo goal, too, because he let Ben Davis beat him in the air. Um, and then yeah, he anyway threw a fit at the end of the game, which we'll get onto in a little bit, but I just want to say how much I think I might be in love with Ange Postacoglu because think about this. Every manager in the world is going to come to a game where they've lost three in a row against Man City away with uh, treble winners, Champions League winners, three-time Premier League winners on the bounce and park the bus and say, we're going to put 11 people behind the ball, try to defend and escape with something. And Postacoglu has decided that he's just going to say, fuck that, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do all the time. And he's come out to do it. And we have somehow gotten away with a point with Emerson Royale and Ben Davis starting at center back against Manchester City, uh, who are just a bunch of massive guys. That seems to be their game plan these days, is they're just a bunch of large dudes uh, who pass the ball around win aerial duels and uh, have extreme possession. So the only thing unique that I noticed that we did in this game compared to last was our defensive structure was more definitely a 4-2-3-1 versus a 4-3-3, which it usually is. I think we really only pressed with one forward rather than two or three. Um, Sun was really the only one exercising that role. Um, Kulisevsky kind of took on a position that we haven't seen so much this season in terms of a traditional 10. He was taking up space in the middle of the field in attacking areas so much so that it actually kind of vacated the midfield a little bit. Like we had so many players forward at times that, uh, city was able to just waltz kind of right through the midfield. And then I think we saw that change when Brian Hill came off, uh, for Hoybier and it kind of straightened things out a little bit at halftime. Spurs, I don't know how much you can read into this game because we're completely injury ravaged. 
the team practically picked itself for this game. Um, so I don't know how much you can read into it. What I do know is that we have players who can step up now. I think Lacelso, I feel good about him stepping up. I wouldn't necessarily feel good about him being the designated starter every week, but I feel good about him being able to step up uh, and play when he needs to play or, you know, next season, if we were in Europe, um, I would be happy with him to be one of the starters in Europe, be that the Champions League, the Europa League, the Mickey Mouse League, whatever it is. Um, and I think we get Romero back after this week, which is a huge boost. And Richarlison came back as well, so he'll be back in the mix. Uh, we're slowly starting to trickle players back into the team after our um, annihilation at, at against Chelsea. We um, The only problem is we now have six games in 25 days to close out the remainder of December, which is an unfortunate purview for the future. I don't 100% know uh, how we're going to get through it without more injuries because we do not have a large enough squad to take on that number of games. So, yeah, very exciting. Never can quit or never quit spirit. Um, I've been on Kulisevsky's case the last couple of weeks, but I think he really impressed me today or today, this weekend, uh, not only for the last-minute winner, but just for his work ethic. And when he's in midfield, I feel like he damages the break less. I feel like my biggest complaint with him is that he stops the break because he's slow and kind of lacks explosiveness. Um, and I think putting him in the middle kind of solves that problem a little bit. So I'm enjoying seeing that. I think I didn't hate him out wide either. Obviously, the goal came from that. So uh, when he went back out wide, I, I, I liked his game. From then on, um, another bizarre piece of things from uh, the officials where <laughs> it's the last minute and Holland is fouled and brought down and the ball gets played through to Grealish, who's mostly all the way through. And the referee, for some reason, decides to bring it back for a free kick for Man City. Uh, and Holland, of course, losing his mind, Pep losing his mind, everyone losing their mind. I don't understand how this kind of thing happens. I think Josh brought it up earlier, or maybe someone else did, that they're just getting the fundamental things wrong at this point. Like, we've lost the marginal decisions, and we're now getting on to the fundamentals of refereeing have abandoned us, uh, which is which is crazy. So, I saw a tweet say, that said... Um... The referee saw Holland play a through ball and just assumed that they lost possession. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, it wasn't, it was like not guaranteed that Grealish was going to be through either because the ball was kind of arcing back towards Ben Davis. And you would hope that even if that ball gets through, Davis just tackles him and takes the red card or, or some such, but um, you never know. So, what I would say to Holland uh, for throwing a fit and becoming a meme and crying and shitting is that you should have scored the open net that you had um, and not complained about the referee. You should have taken all the chances that you had to win the game. Um, yeah. So I mean, kind of said that afterwards too. He, they asked him about it and, you know, he had his complaints, but then at the end of it, he said, that's not the reason we didn't win. Yeah. Which, I mean, he didn't come out and say it, but it it's pretty obvious what he was thinking considering just how many chances city had. I mean, you mentioned it, they just could not finish. It's they have Tottenhamitis. They're allergic to scoring when they play against y'all. We're in their head. Uh, we have to be. Literally, I mean, 
Holland missed a sitter. Someone else missed a sitter. Holland hit the post. Someone else hit the post. Doku and Alvarez both hit the post as well. They had so. a couple very, you know, millimeter off type of things where they should be. Vicario made that target. incredible save in the beginning of the first half. So yeah, and I mean, y'all had quite a few turnovers, like either in your box or right outside as well. It's the most did not capitalize. It's the most time City has ever regained possession in the attacking third in a, in a Premier League game in history. And somehow they didn't capitalize on almost any of them. So. Yeah. I mean, I love to see it. It's great. I love, I love seeing City. In I the feel mud. like they don't, I, especially, I feel like they don't ever get decisions that go against them, you know, with this refereeing one. And I'm not saying I'm glad the referees messed up, but. It is it is kind of like a, a karma type of thing, right? Yeah, well they, the club. we uh our karma didn't come back in the form of refereeing decisions. Our karma came back in the fact that we, our entire team immediately got injured in one game. Yeah. <laughs> we we paid our penance for the refereeing decisions with the fact that our team <laughs> yeah. is now injured. And I mean the entire team. So yeah. Um I don't have too much else to say. I think just a really exciting game all around. Good time to be Spurs, I think, in spite of the fact that we've lost three of our last four. Um, it's extenuating circumstances. It's really frustrating because you think what would be happening right now if all those stupid injuries and suspensions hadn't happened? Like, where would we be at right now? It's really frustrating from that aspect. But the fact that we've been doing as well as we have with no recognized center backs, sometimes no recognized defense or mid- defensive midfielders, um, just random... NPCs like Giovanni Lacelso and Brian Hill starting games in 2023, um, almost 2024, and we're still doing as well as we are. So I think uh, I'm I'm happy with with where Spurs are at right now. So someone else who I would imagine is happy with where his team are at right now would be Josh, uh, because Leicester have picked up a myriad of good results in recent weeks and have now, thanks to a late winner from Harry Winks, by the way. Uh, taking their position at the top of the championship uh, through and through. We've had an okay run of form. I wouldn't say it's been great. It could be going significantly better. Like we lost the leads, which is okay. But we also dominated them last season multiple times. And then we lost a borough the week after to like a 83rd minute. And then we drew Sheffield, which was a 93rd minute. So like very annoying, like little things that like that's if we win one of those games, we lost that's three more points. If we don't give up a 93rd minute equalizer, that's or that's three points. So like we should have four more points. We should have 50 right now if we didn't make really, 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 really silly mistakes in the last 15 minutes of the game. But because all those goals that like led the losses were mistake driven. They weren't just that us being outplayed, which is kind of comes with the territory of having a mixture of a very new team and a very young team, but love Harry winks getting the 94th minute winner. The only reason it was a winner because Josh Maja scored the equalizer, which if you've watched a Sunderland documentary, it was a very like hovered mainstay. So like, that was kind of cool to see him score that. Um, I'm very much looking forward to our Ipswich game on Boxing Day. That's going to be absolutely insane. That I'm so excited. We're one point ahead of them right now. We are eight points ahead of third, which is Leeds, and then we are 18 points above seventh, 
so I am comfortable saying we will at least be in the playoffs, and I am fairly confident we will at least be in the top two. I just really, really, really would prefer to win the champion, the whole thing, versus just getting promoted. Um, but I'm, I'm liking where we're at right now. But we play Plymouth this weekend, which I think will be – I think will just be a cool game is Plymouth. Like, I think it's the first time we played Plymouth. I don't know about ever, but at least in recent memory, it's one of the first times we've played them. And by the way, y'all play Ipswich again on January 20th. So two quick fire yes. fixtures against them uh, so in less than a month. Those will more than likely be the deciding matches for the championship. Excellent stuff. Uh, Josh, let's stick with you and go to Jersey of the Week as we wrap things up. I do not have one this week. It was kind of a crazy day. Olivia wasn't feeling great, so I was the one cooking dinner tonight. So I did not have terribly large amount of time to go get one. So I do not have one. So enjoy this Japanese Pokemon card from Ben Mendoza, friend of the show. We'll go to Ethan for album of the week. <laughs> I'll step up for that. I, I found this Texas Rangers old throwback jersey that my dad had. World so Series champions. Right. That we have not mentioned yet, but yeah, first one. So yeah, first of many. Uh, But yeah, I found that in my dad's closet and he doesn't wear it. So I took it. Uh, But yeah, so if you uh, have, if you are are on the internet at any point, you would know that Spotify wrapped slash Apple replay, if you use that shit, uh, just happens. And you basically just get to, you know, see what all you've listened to this year and uh, I've already picked this out many a times, but this was my top artist, so I thought it was only fair to bring them up again. But Oasis, what's the story, Morning Glory? It was an album I first got into at the beginning or at the end of last year. And so I spent the whole year with it and they ended up being my favorite band that I've listened to this year. And I think as of maybe summer-ish, it became my favorite album of all time. So cool that i got to spend the whole year with it for the first time i wondered if you were going to bring a strokes album to blast me up for having the strokes on my spotify wrapped every <laughs> I could single go grab year the new abnormal right years. now <laughs> and hang it, it up funny. on my my new uh record holder up there so i'll try to change that up make it cool but yeah that the strokes ladies and gentlemen <laughs> the strokes i uh I went and checked. So this is year number six for the strokes to be in my top six or top five. And then year number four for thank you scientists to be in my top five. So in a row. So I'm just nice. a nonstop stroker and thank you scientister. So take, take it that way you will. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We better get out of here. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye to all the fellas and a huge thanks for joining us. Reese. Yep. Thank you for hosting once again. Ethan, I'm sorry I uh, forgot Palace in the running hey, order, but uh, I'm trying to, glad to have you Palace on. Palace is what I'm trying <laughs> to do. But no, it was, it was a good podcast. I'm, I'm glad we're back in the swing of things. And Josh, of course, we're very glad to have you back on the show. Sorry it took so long to get you back reintegrated. I'm glad to be back. It's been a very long hiatus, but I'm glad I'm back and, and kind of in the rhythm of things. Still a little crazy around here. And a big thanks to you, the listener, for coming back and getting with us again after our long break. Uh, we do apologize for that. We're going to try to be better. We always say that. Uh, we're going to 
be uploading as many episodes as we possibly can throughout the holiday period. Of course, it is a, a busy time and, and you never know what's going to happen. People are in different places, different states, different locations, different states of mind. So you never know. Um, but we thanks for, for tuning in. We thank you for tuning in all the same. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the Premier League this weekend. We hope you're staying safe, staying healthy, and it's a goodbye from us.